Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. This is our worship service, and Lord, we're thankful that it's nothing but the blood of Jesus that takes away our sins. That it's only the work of Jesus on the cross that gives us hope of the forgiveness of sins in eternity with you. Lord, we ask that each part of this service, the singing, the special, the, uh, the preaching, Lord, would lead us to the time of invitation where we would give to you that which is your rightful due. And Lord, that's everything. Lord, we ask that you would bless the offering, the thoughts of our hearts during the service, that it may be a time where we truly lift you up and honor and glorify your name for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, Those children that go down to the children's church and then to the toddler's church, if they would be dismissed at this time. And the rest of us, let's take our Bibles and go to Numbers chapter 12. Numbers chapter 12. And we're going to introduce the topic as it is in the Bible this morning. Uh, It is somewhat difficult to preach on certain Bible subjects, and today's is is, uh, a, a great illustration of that. If we go to Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, this is just a quote, I mean, in parentheses, um, it's just an additional statement here that's added to help us understand what's going on. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Now, when you think of the word meek, do you think of Moses, who stuck his finger in Pharaoh's face and said, Let my people go, who stretched out the rod over the Red Sea and and who stood there on Mount Sinai and received the tablets that God had written in stone with his own finger, giving the laws of God and Uh, As one preacher aptly put it, uh, he said, we have about two million laws upon the federal statute books of the United States, each one of them trying to help us keep the Ten Commandments. I'll tell you, you cannot come up with a law that is superior to God's. And if you ever meet someone, they say, well, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments. Ask them about the 603 others uh, that are just as much a part of the law. Uh, that is the uh, official count, 613 commandments in the Old Testament law. And, and many of those, in fact, a majority of them have to deal with the way things were to be carried out and performed in the tabernacle, things which no man can do today. So don't, don't think that you're going to get to heaven by keeping the Ten Commandments because you haven't even gotten started. 
keeping God's law. And yet, here we have Moses. And it says that he was meek. He was very meek. He was above all men which were upon the face of the earth. And uh, I'm I, uh, just going to let you in. We've got a, a hidden outline, we might say, in the last, in the last couple of weeks. And, and in the coming weeks is Jesus, when he was on uh, the mount uh, there, gave a sermon on the mount. We call that there Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And the summary or the introduction to that sermon was the Beatitudes. Last week, we just simply asked the question, as Christians living in this country, what can we do? And the Bible says that we are to sigh for the sins of the people of our land. You see, the second beatitude is, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And Jesus promises us that comfort. But you've still got to let what's going on upset you. Mourning is not something that you put on. It's something that comes naturally. It comes out of you. You cannot stop it. And the week before, we spent on being poor in spirit. Preached a message on salvation. See, there's nothing you can do to obtain your salvation. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And these build on themselves. And the third beatitude is, blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. Now, most people, when they read that verse, they go, blessed are the weak. I mean, they're only changing one one, uh, consonant in there. Certainly, that doesn't change the meaning of the passage, right? Of course it does. Meek is not weak. Moses was not a weak man. In fact, we'll find out how extraordinarily strong Moses was, uh, almost to the point of superhuman as we will see described in the Bible here later in the sermon. But as we talk about the meekness of Moses, this is something that we should want in our life. I've often given the working definition of meekness as operating under the authority of another. Now, the reason I give that definition is because the word meek means humble. It means lowly of mind, not lifting up yourself. So how do we get from that to operating under the authority of another? Well, it's it's very simple. And it will be illustrated in Moses' life. Let's go to Acts chapter 7. And by the way, this is how you allow the Bible to be its own dictionary, its own encyclopedia. It takes a word there. It introduces it first time in the verse we just read, Numbers 12 and verse 3, as a parenthetical statement, as a 
as something that's not even the main subject here. And we are explain. It is explained to us what meekness is, and we get here to Acts chapter seven. This is part of a sermon by Stephen, uh, one of the first deacons in front of a group that would eventually kill him for his faith in Jesus Christ. And we start in verse twenty. It says, "In which time Moses was born, and was exceeding fair, and nourished up in his father's house three months." And when he was cast out, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. Verse 22, And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. Seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him that was oppressed and smote the Egyptian. Verse 25 is the key. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So let's start out with the life of Moses here. I I want to uh, make the first point was Moses had to learn meekness. Meekness is a practiced attribute. It's something that you have to work at. It is not something that some people have and other people don't. Meekness is something that every human being has to diligently work at having or you'll never get it. I want to challenge you. You can read anybody's rules for living, anybody's suggestions about how to get ahead, and meekness is not on their list. But it's on God's list. You see, Moses understood a few things when he was 40 years old. It's an amazing thing to me. How long could he have lived in his mother's house? He was there for three months. He, uh, Pharaoh said to throw all the men children in the river and drown them. And so uh, Moses' mother complied, only she put him in a waterproof, airtight basket that would keep him alive. She just she obeyed the king. She threw him in the, in the river, but she kept him safe. You know, there's a little bit of wisdom in that. Amen? And... Pharaoh's daughter found him, and when they opened up the basket, babies do what babies do best. And her heart just went, oh, it's a beautiful baby, and it's all mine. And, of course, Moses' sister was hiding there and came out and said, do you want me to fetch one of the Hebrew women to be a nurse for the child? And... Oh, yes. And so Moses' mother was paid to nourish up Moses when many of the other children who were born at that same time were being killed. It's an amazing story of how God picks people. She may have had Moses till he was five years old, certainly not much, any, much older than that. 
And yet, 45 years later, when he was a grown man, having lived his whole life in the palace of Pharaoh, arguably the most worldly, licentious, debauched place on, the, on planet Earth in his day, Moses said, I want to see my people. I'll tell you, Mama must have done something in those few years that she had him to instill in Moses something that he never lost. Talk about a miracle. There's one right there. And Moses understood something. He understood that God had brought him to deliver Israel from Egypt. Egypt had enslaved the Jewish people and tried to destroy them in many different ways. He was mighty in words and deeds. He he had passed all of his tests. He knew everything there was to know in his day. He said, God's put me here to deliver the children of Israel. Was he right? Absolutely. Was he doing it God's way? Absolutely not. You see, Moses had to learn meekness, and this is where the lesson started. Moses tried to deliver the children of Israel by himself, his way. And he became a murderer. Not a very good start, was it? One preacher put it this way, Moses spent the first 40 years of his life learning that he was somebody... And the next 40 years of his life, learning that he was nobody. And and I wish you could really grasp the truth of this thing. Later on, when the plagues are going on and and Pharaoh is, Moses is talking to Pharaoh, he says, sacrifice to your God in the land. And here was Moses' answer. He said, we're going to sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians. You see, the Egyptians had a god that looked like a dog. And they had one that looked like a vulture that ate dead things. And they had another one that looked like a frog. And, but they hated sheep. The Egyptian person treated sheep about the same way we do rats. Yeah, I saw somebody shiver when you said the word. It was an abomination to the Egyptian sheep. What was Moses' profession? Shepherd. What was the rod that God told Moses to carry? A shepherd's rod. I'll tell you, Moses was... A Jewish man, there's no question about that. But there's a lot of Egypt in Moses. And God had to put him for 40 years in the desert, taking care of the most despised animal in the Egyptian mind to humble Moses. And every time he picked up that rod that God had given him, he was reminded... I'm nothing but a shepherd. You can't get any lower than that. 
You see, he understood his position in the world, but he also understood that he had failed. But he would come back in his 80s carrying a rod that God said, that rod's mine. It's called the rod of God. And God had told Moses to do some things with that rod. How many of you have ever been around a big snake? I'm not talking about in a zoo now. I'm talking about the ones that can wiggle and, and, and go places and do things. I mean, we're talking over six feet long. How many of you have ever been face to face with one of those dudes? Uh, That's not the most pleasant place to be. I remember uh, my grandparents' old house gotten some snakes up in the rafters in the basement. And so when you walked in, the snakes were up above your head. That was just not a pleasant experience. I won, by the way. Um, we we desnaked the place. Uh, but God told Moses to throw the rod down, and it became a snake. How many remember that story? And then he told Moses to do something that you should never, ever do with a living snake. He said, grab it by the tail. Now, if the snake is dead, that's okay. If it's alive, that's not okay. That's not, that's not even dumb. That's way past that. Because you grab a snake by the tail and he's alive, you're going to get bit. At least once. And God tells him, and I love the story here, he says, cast down thy rod. And he casts it down and becomes a snake. Can't you just see Moses going, okay, here we go. Hold it. Where's my rod? There's my rod. And it says, and he fled. And then God says, go back up to that snake and grab him by the tail. And it became a rod again. You know what God was doing? He was teaching Moses to obey God's word. Meekness. Operating under the authority of Another. Could we just chase a rabbit here today? How many of you, at one time or another in your life, caught yourself saying, I don't believe anything that I can't verify, understand, justify, and know exactly what I'm talking about? That's an attitude that is prevalent in our day in society. Could I challenge you? There has to come a time in your life where you can trust someone other than yourself. And that a number one characteristic of unbalanced emotions and mental thought processes is not being able to take someone else at their word. Because there will come a time in your life, or times, 
when your perception of what's going on around you is impaired. How many of you have ever been under anesthesia? Oh, that's so much fun, isn't it? I remember one time the nurse came in. She gave me the shot that's supposed to get you all dopey. She said, oh, it's just going to be like having one or two martinis. Ha, ha, ha. I said, if this is what it is, I'm glad I've never tasted one. Oh, I didn't like that. I I don't I don't like that stuff at all. Uh, I'm not afraid of going to sleep. I'm afraid of what they do to me once I am asleep, right? Um, But anyway, I'll tell you what, if you have to go under anesthesia trusting only in your doctor I really feel for you I'm glad that I can put my soul in the keeping of the great physician who knows all and controls all can we say amen to that how many of you had a set of parents that sat you down more than once as a teenager and said, now I know what you're thinking, but what you're thinking is wrong. Hmm? And you had to make a choice. Am I going to accept what my parents say or am I going to accept what I think? And if you'll accept what your parents say, you're going to be far better off for it. See, that's meekness. That's why Jesus said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meekness here is is something that we must have if we're going to make it in this life. Because I'm sorry to pop your bubble if you have one left, but you're just not smart enough. None of us are. You cannot see the future, but God can. You're going to have to have something to trust and something to hold on to when you're not capable of holding on anymore. You think that's what Paul meant in Philippians chapter 3 when he said, I apprehend that for which I am already apprehended of Christ? I believe that's what he's talking about. It's that spirit of meekness. It's learning to trust God. And to obey God, even when it doesn't make any sense. The children of Israel, uh, let's take a moment and just go to this passage. I I love this passage uh, in Exodus chapter 15. I'm sorry, not 15. Uh, 14, Exodus chapter 14. The children of Israel trapped at the Red Sea, and they're chiding with Moses and saying, we, we told you to leave us alone. We told you to... And here's what Moses, in verse 13, And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. For the Egyptians whom ye have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. The Lord shall fight for you, and ye shall hold your peace. Wow. 
That sounds like confidence, does it not? Did you read the next verse? And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore criest thou unto me? Now that's the next verse. Here's Moses facing the children of Israel. And he's telling them, God's going to fight for you now. Shut up! And then he's turning around and going, Lord, what in the world are you going to do? Meekness. Moses wasn't going to do anything on his own. He was waiting for God's direction. And God said, divide the Red Sea. And I'm sure that Moses was thinking, easier said than done, Lord. He said, but hold out the rod. And so he took that rod that was a symbol of his failure, a reminder of the abomination of the Egyptians... And stretched it out over the sea, and the sea divided. And Pharaoh's army was drowned when they tried to pass through. Moses was operating under God's authority. And destroyed the mightiest army on the face of the earth in his day. You see... In God's time, with God's rod, at God's direction, Moses became the most powerful man on the face of the earth in his day. But it was all about God and not one bit about Moses. See, that's meekness. That's what you and I need in our personal daily lives. The ability to depend upon God when nothing else makes sense. The ability to obey God and keep ourselves out of the equation. You see, God was working with Moses and teaching him some things. Let's go to Exodus chapter 32. Now, we don't have time to go through the whole story today. But Moses was up on Mount Sinai 40 days, 40 nights. He didn't come down and the children of Israel saw that cloud up there and the lightnings and the thunders and the earthquakes. And here's what they said. Moses is dead. I'm not going up there. You going up there? No, Moses said, if you touch the mountain, you die. So, what are we going to do? Oh, we'll make us new gods. Gods that we can handle. Gods that we can control. You know, that's the seed of all idolatry. Is making a god that is responsible to me. That's another reason why I just despise that purpose-driven life book and purpose-driven Christianity and church and all of those things. God is not responsible to you. The desires that are inside of you, God did not put them there. 
We are tempted when we were drawn away of our own lust and enticed. That's what's inside of us. We need to overcome that. That's what meekness does. Amen? And God told Moses up on the mountain, He says, Get down quickly, for they have corrupted themselves. God said, I have a better idea. He says, Get out of the way. When you get down to the bottom of the mountain, there's only going to be you and Joshua left. And I'll make a new nation from you. And what we have is one of Moses' prayers. One of the greatest prayers in the Bible. Where he pleads with God. Don't destroy Israel. Now, let me ask you a question. Well, let's, let's read the rest of this here. Uh, I believe it's um, verse 14. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to the people. Unto his people. God said, okay, Moses, because you've prayed, I'm not going to do that to Israel. You know, people troubled with this and tried to figure out what God was doing here. I'll tell you what God was doing. He was instilling meekness in the heart and soul of Moses. What happened when Moses got down to the mountain saw with his own eyes? He took those tables of the law and he broke them at the bottom of the mountain. What would have happened to Israel if God hadn't tempered Moses' heart while he was still on the mountain? You see, later, instead of Moses saying, God, destroy this people, what did he say? He said, God, if you won't forgive their sins, blot my name out of your book. Do you think that's an illustration of what meekness really is? What God wants to instill in our lives, what Jesus said, if you will... Allow me to put meekness in your life. I'm going to bless you. You're going to inherit the earth. Why? Because you'll know how to run it. A whole lot better than the Democrats or Republicans. Amen? I was joking with one of our neighbor ladies up the street here. We She's just passing me and said something. And... and Somehow, discussion of criminals. And she says, oh, there's no criminals in New York City. I said, oh, that's right. I'm sorry. We call them elected officials, don't we? And uh, that, that wouldn't be funny if it weren't so true. You know how we solve that problem? Meekness. When we get our eyes off of those people, get them back on God where they belong, we're not pushed around so much anymore. Because we got something to hold on to. We've got an authority that we have to answer to that is every moment just. God's wrath is a terrible thing. But he displayed it to Moses, not to scare Israel, but to instill in Moses' heart a love 
for the people of God that so desperately deserve to be wiped out. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. And here we're going to see what kind of man Moses really was. The children of Israel had fallen to lusting for food. They, they had manna every morning, quail every evening, but that wasn't enough. They, they wanted some real meat to, to eat. And they wanted lots of it, more than they could stand. Uh, and Moses went before God. And look at verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth a suckling child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? When should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. Can I tell you something? The task that God has for your life is too big for you to do. But a lot of people think they can handle it. Or they just keep whittling down what God wants to do until there's so little of it left that they're not really worried about it anymore. God wants to do extraordinary things with very ordinary people. Why? So that when it's done, people can talk about the extraordinary God, not the ordinary people. Could I challenge you? That is meekness. And until you realize that what God wants to do with you, what He wants to accomplish in your life, is too great for you to do. See, that's why you must rely upon the authority of another. That's why you must trust His Word over your understanding. That's why you have to learn to obey God even when it doesn't make sense because His Word is the only way you're going to get through this thing. This is why He says, Blessed are the meek. Now, I want you just to get a picture here. Look what it says in uh, verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be... I'm sorry. Yeah, men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand with thee there, and I will come down and talk with thee there, and I will take of the Spirit which is upon thee, 
and will put it upon them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. It took 70 men, great men of the children of Israel, to bear the burden, the spirit of one man, Moses. That's what I meant in the introduction when I said Moses was on borderline of what we would call superhuman in endurance and ability. How did he get there? By trusting God instead of trusting Moses. God was doing extraordinary things. He was using Moses, and Moses described himself as a nursing father carrying that baby, only that baby was two million people through the wilderness. And God says, okay, I'm going to spread your spirit around a little bit. I'm going to give 70 men to carry the spirit that you have. I'll tell you what. Moses was an extraordinary man, wasn't he? That's what it meant when it said that he was meek above all men that were on the earth. He was trusting so much in God for what he needed that it would take 70 of the best men in Israel to carry his spirit and his burden. You know what? One of the things that meekness does is it enlists others in the cause. You see, that's one of the things that makes a church work is other people get the spirit of what's going on. The Holy Spirit puts us together. Read Ephesians chapter 4. And supplies those things. And as people take that spirit, extraordinary things get done. I think it was Napoleon that said, the greatest leader in the history of mankind was, is Jesus Christ says he could call an army larger than any army on the face of the earth, every one of his servants willing to die for him, said no man has mastered that kind of loyalty and that kind of following. And I'm paraphrasing, of course. It's easy to do great things in the short run. What's hard is that long run. Running that race called life patiently, one day at a time. If you're going to do it, you've got to stop trusting in you and start trusting, operating under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, later... Moses would be challenged by his own brother and sister. And God would answer that challenge. Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Reuben, 
challenged Moses' authority and says, we're not going to listen to you. We're not even going to come up and talk about it. And the earth opened up and swallowed them. The sons of Korah, 250 men that said, we have the right to offer incense just like your brother Aaron. We're better than he was. Well, they may have been better than he was. Aaron wasn't really the epitome of a lot of things, but he was the man that God chose. And 250 men died as fire came out from before the Lord. You know what? God answered. God answered as the plague had begun. And Aaron runs up and puts incense in chapter 16 and verse 48. And it says, And he stood between the living and the dead with that incense, and the plague stopped. He was doing what Aaron was doing, what Moses told him to do. And he stopped God's judgment against the children of Israel. But we get to Numbers chapter 20. Moses decided to break that pattern and answered for himself, didn't he? He took the rod of God up on that rock and God had told him to speak to the rock. Moses hit it twice. God gave the water, but he also took away Moses' ticket to the promised land. He said, because you refuse to sanctify me. See, meekness is one of those things that is so hard to learn and get in your... It took Moses 80 years to exercise meekness in that last 40 years. And he was somewhere around year... 119, 118 of a 120 year life. And he lost his entrance to the promised land because he stopped being meek for just one little moment. It's hard to be meek. It's hard to keep your mouth shut when something ought to be said. It's hard to be still and not do what I wish I could do to make things right when God already has what He wants to do. You know, one of the greatest dangers we have in our world today is people are looking for something bigger than the church. I want to challenge you, that's God's plan. And if you're going to have meekness, that's where you've got to invest your life and your energy and your service, because that's God's plan for reaching this world. Moses had to learn that it was God's way, God's time, even though he understood he was the man. It took 40 years in the wilderness to make him ready to be the man that God wanted him to be. If I want to do God's service my way I lose my meekness and I lose God's blessing on my life 
know, there's a lot of things about church that just don't make a lot of sense. But that's God's way, so let's be busy. You say, well, listen, I've listened to this Dave Ramsey guy, and he says, if I'll save up all my money when I retire, I'll be able to give thousands and thousands of dollars away. I, I don't doubt it a bit, but that's not God's plan. God's plan is to give 10% of what you have today. But that doesn't add up. Oh, let me tell you something, it does. Adds up to far more than you could ever imagine. Because you can't improve on meekness. That's doing it God's way. And this is primarily a message to Christians. But you can't have a sermon without talking about salvation. You can't get saved your way. It's got to be God's way. That's where the meekness starts. You see, if I understand that I'm poor in spirit, that's going to get my eyes off me. If I will allow the Lord to bring mourning in my life for all the wickedness that's going on around us and in our own lives also, That's going to drive me to God and drive me to surrender my will to His. That's meekness. These things build one upon the other. If you're going to have it, you've got to work at it. Meekness is something that can take an entire life to build in just one moment to say goodbye to. The only protection you have against losing it all is keeping yourself steadfastly fastened to the Lord Jesus Christ and His Word. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before You today. And Lord, we ask that You would help us understand this thing called meekness. And Lord, You would let us learn meekness. And Lord... That you would do exceeding great and marvelous things in our midst. Not through our combined strength or wisdom, but through our combined submission to your word. To your leadership. To your work in each heart and life here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation.